Glory to God. Amen. There's nothing better than to be reminded of the love of God. Amen. Amen. His love is everlasting. I don't know where you were when he found you, but I know where I was. Amen. And it is an awesome reminder that he loved me just because he loved me, not because I was so lovable. Hello, somebody. Glory to God. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. The book of Galatians, chapter 5, and we will begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. And this is going to sound a little different than our memory verse because this is the, King, the new King James Version, but we're going to do our memory verse in a moment, okay, in the, in the English Standard Version. But the new King James, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You, have a, you, you who attempt to, to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning, God. Thank you because you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you because your grace really is sufficient for us, Lord God. Thank you because you remind us today of the magnitude of that love toward us. Lord, this morning as we sit down to hear your word, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. I pray that you give us hearts to respond to what you're saying, my God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it. I pray that our faith would be encouraged. I pray that we would be challenged, God. I pray that we would be changed by the power of the gospel. Help us, Jesus, to be more like you. I pray these things in your good name. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so you will notice today that you do not have an outline with you. And so I'm going to give you some questions. You're going to write these down. Um, they are ready. They're, 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 they're printed out here in the back, so they'll come up on the screen. So um, we'll go through them. We're going to do the standard first question and last question that we see in all of our outlines, which the first question is, what one thing did you get out of the message? What one thing did you get out of the message? Um, you're going to discuss these in Connect, and so we didn't print out the, the handouts this week, but the first question is that, and I want to emphasize something because you'll notice that it's there every week, and I want you to know that I don't put that question there every week just because I don't have another question to ask. Hello. All right? I put that there because I am really hoping that you will grab at least one thing out of this message and that you will run with it. Amen? That is the most important thing. So when I ask what one thing did you get out of the message, I mean, I know, I know in our Connect group, you know, people get a few things and they'll say different stuff, but what one thing is it that is going to grab your heart? What one thing is, is it that you really got out of this message that you're going to try to live out? Because you're not going to be able to live out every single thing that I say. You're going to have to live out something that really stood out, that really gripped your heart. So that's the reason for the first question. The second question is a little bit longer, and it is this. 
what were some of your functional saviors in the past, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. The first part of the question is, what were some of your functional saviors in the past? And the second part of the question is, what are some that you see yourself struggling with today? And so, what were the past functional saviors that you, that, that you depended on? And today, what are those functional saviors that you struggle with, even though you know Jesus today? All of us struggle with stuff, and so we want to we share that. We want to be open in our connect groups. And then the last question, this one is really long. There's like three parts to this one. The last question is, or not really the last one, this is the third question, and the last one is another standard one. But it is, do you believe someone can really understand grace and remain unchanged? So the first part of the question is, do you believe someone can really understand grace and remain unchanged? The second part of the question is, how has your understanding of grace changed you? How has your understanding of grace changed you? And the third part of the question is, how have you specifically seen the grace of God training you or developing you? So the first part of the question is, do you believe someone can really understand grace and remain unchanged? The second part of the question is, how has your understanding of grace changed you? And the third part of the question is, how have you specifically seen the grace of God changing you, training you? Amen? All right, we're going to go through those questions one more time. First question is, what one thing did you get out of the message, right? That's the first question. Second question, what were some of your functional saviors in the past, and what are some that you see yourself struggling with today? And the last question, or the third question, I'm sorry, is do you believe someone can really understand grace and remain unchanged? How has your understanding of grace changed you? And how have you specifically seen the grace of God training you? And the last question, I don't remember how it goes. I didn't write it down. So there we go. So in what area were you convicted, encouraged, or challenged? And how will you respond in repentance and faith this week? So, in what area were you convicted, encouraged, or challenged? And how will you respond in faith and repentance and faith this week? Amen? Amen? All right. Your connect group leader will assist you if you didn't get all of those. So let's go over our memory verse. How many of y'all got the memory verse down? Yes? Come on, raise those hands up. Like, yes, you've been working all week. You've been working that brain, glory to God. You've been trying to get that thing right. I know some of us, as we get older, you know, those things, you know, it gets a little bit harder. Amen? I'm just saying, for some of us, I know for me, I used to have a much better memory like five years ago. Amen? And I'm not even, I'm not old. Glory to God. Glory. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> all right, so memory verse, say it together. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Last time, together. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Amen? Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Give yourself a hand. You're learning that memory verse. A couple more weeks, you should have it down 100%. Amen? 
So Galatians chapter 5, we're continuing on in our series in the book of Galatians. The title of the message this morning is Standing Firm in Christ. We want to talk about standing firm. That verse 1, remember the translation that, that, that we do the, from the ESV, that's more clearly how the Greek portrays what's being communicated. Nonetheless, chapter 5, verse 1 in the, King, in the New King James, it also helps us to understand the heart of what's being communicated here. So the first thing we understand is that as believers who have been liberated from the just penalty of our sins by the work of the cross... By grace, we must stand firm in that liberty. The message of the book of Galatians, hear me when I say this, would not be necessary if we would not be tempted to consider another source for our salvation apart from Jesus alone. I want you to know, God doesn't waste words. And what, what, what I'm saying is, God didn't just, you know, say, hey, man, just throw Galatians in there. For these people, they'll read about how those folks were acting back then, and they don't need it today. No, 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 no. The truth of the matter is that all of us will struggle with this in some way, shape, or form, where our flesh has the tendency where we decide that we want to depend on other things for our salvation, other things to experience the grace of God, and there's no substitute. But the point is that we need to be those people who commit in our hearts to stand firm firm in Christ, stand firm in what Jesus has done. And so Galatians reminds us of this amazing grace that God has shed in our hearts and shown us by, 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 by the power of what he did on the cross for us. And so Galatians reminds us not to fall into our carnality of depending on our flesh. So, here, so here's the thing. The reality is that most of us, and this is why we're tempted to do this, because most of us, if not all of us, had functional savior, saviors in the past. Functional savior means something that I went to to feel peace, something I went to for that, you know, to get my mind off my issues. For some of us, that was drugs. For some of us, that was sex. For some of us, that was hanging out. For some of us, those were other things that we depended on because those were the things that made us feel really good about ourselves. But then there's the flip side of it because some of you are like, well, I never did drugs and I never drank and I never had, you know, sex out of marriage and you're just an amazing good person. Amen. And so for those of us that are like that, right, well, here's the thing. For you, you, your functional Savior can be some good stuff like your family. Hello? You find your salvation, your solace. You feel real good about yourself because everything in your family, it don't look like it looked when you were a kid. Hello? And so we feel this, you know, we, we turn to those things. We turn to our jobs. We turn to different stuff as functional saviors. And so what happens is all of us have had that tendency. And so the truth is when you come to Jesus, you have a choice. You can either turn to Christ to experience his peace. You can turn to Christ in dependence. Or you can turn back to those old ways you used to deal with problems. Hello. And so it's the same thing when it comes to salvation. We have that tendency to turn back to something else. We start going through high-stress moments. If you were a person that used to drink a lot or a person who used to do drugs, you know what the temptation is going to be? The temptation is when you're going through hardcore situations is to turn to that rather than turning to your Savior. I'm just saying. That, that, that is what will happen. In the moments of temptation, you will turn to that. And so it's the same thing for our flesh because we find security because sometimes, and I, I, one, one preacher, I can't remember who it was we were talking to, um, I was talking to and he was, he, was, he was speaking about how God, most of the time, this is an old, old writer, and he's writing about God and what God does in our days. And he said one thing that you have to realize about God is that much of the time in our Christianity, God is silent. And what he means is not that God is not speaking to you. He's not audibly talking to you. Listen to what I'm saying. He inspired 66 books, glory to his holy name. 
for us. And so what happens is as you walk by faith, what do you do? Well, if you have hidden his word in your heart, you will not sin against him. According to Psalm 119.11, that's what will happen. But if, your word, if, the, if his word is not hidden in your heart, what happens when temptation comes? What happens when those weak moments arrive in our lives? Well, we end up turning to those things that we want to do rather than what we should do, which is in the scriptures. And so when we go through hardship, many of us, and I can tell you going through difficult situations in our lives, you're crying out, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. I need you to give me peace. And you know what? He's silent. He's not giving you an audible, an audible answer. He's spoken in his word, and he wants you to walk by faith. Now, does that mean that he's not with you? Absolutely not. He is with you 100%. It's, it's, it's kind of like a dad who's walking by his child and saying, just walk with me. Just, just walk. All you got to do is walk with me. Walk with me through whatever. And we learn to trust him, not when he is yelling at us, hello. We learn to trust him when he is silent and we walk with him. And we trust him and we depend on him. And you know what? There are moments in our life that we don't feel so saved, hello. There are moments in our life that we're like, man, did that what Jesus did really work in my life? I'm just saying, it happens to us. We, we, we wonder, do I need to do something to add to this? Do I need to do something to really kill my flesh? Yes, kill your flesh, but don't depend on your crucifying of your flesh for your salvation. That's what the apostle is trying to communicate to us, helping us to understand the truth is that we need to put our faith in the gospel, not in functional saviors, whether negative or positive. Because what we'll find is we find those other areas, those positive areas, where we're like, man, I'm doing amazing at work. My family's doing good, or my church life is doing good, or my ministry's doing good. And we find more hope in those things than we do in the gospel that declares to us he is our hope. The bottom line is this, church, is that Jesus paid a great price for our salvation in dying in our place, suffering for our sins, and conquering death in the grave to offer us life and free us from the fear of death and the judgment to come. And he alone must be our hope for salvation, period. Nothing else. And so Paul is reminding us of this. And so I encourage you that the greatest gifts are those that cost us the least yet profit us the most. Those are the greatest gifts, the ones that you pay the least for, the ones that somebody gives you something. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I, love, I love gifts. Amen. Does anybody, anybody else like gifts? Raise your hand if you like gifts. I'm just saying, just raise your hand. I, I want to make sure I'm not alone. You know, it's not a vain thing to like gifts. It's a vain thing to just covet them. Hello. I'm just saying. And so, you know, we enjoy, right? We, we enjoy gifts. And, 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 and sometimes, you know, people with good intentions, they give us gifts that wasn't really what we wanted. Right? Y'all been there, done that, right? Like, that's the sweater you're not wearing, glory to God. That's the shirt. I'm out. Oh, did I say that? Okay. So, just those gifts, you know, you appreciate the person who gave the gift, right? You appreciate them for thinking about you, and you hope that they put a gift receipt in the box. And they gave you permission. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, but the point is, there's other gifts that you get that you were like, yo, that was what I wanted. That would, You didn't even tell no one. Well, you might have mentioned it in passing because you were trying to motivate someone, right? But they got you that thing. And when you got it, it didn't cost you anything, but it has profited you greatly, right? And so I want you to think about that to the umph degree when you think about Jesus and what he did for us. Because he's the one who paid this great price. He is the one who died in our place. He is the one who took off, his, who, who left the glory of heaven and came down to this earth and put on flesh. And that way he could live this perfect life and die in our place. He is the one who said, you know what? They're unlovable. Nonetheless, I'm going to love them. 
He is the one who decided that he was going to give us his life so that way we wouldn't have to fear death. We wouldn't have to fear separation from God for all of eternity. We wouldn't have to fear anything, but we could trust him. And so he pays this amazing price, and he offers us his life. When you look at the word of God, and Jesus talks about it, it's in the book of Matthew, I think around like chapter 16 or something like that, and he talks about anyone who's going to come after me needs to take up his cross and follow me daily, denying himself. And he says, and he who, who, he who, would, who, who would try to keep his life will lose his life. That's what the scripture says, right? But then he says, but he who loses his life finds life. Here's the problem with us, church. We look at so much what we're giving up rather than what we're getting. We look at so much of what we're letting go of because we don't understand grace. We don't understand that God doesn't want us to give, you know, our little life that is so amazing and all of these things that we aspire to. He doesn't want us to lay those things down to give us nothing. He wants us to lay those things down to give us everything. He wants us to lay those things down so we can really and truly experience what life really is. And that's the issue, is that we won't let go of the little things that we have in our hand to say, God, here is my life. I want to lose my life for your sake so I can find life, so I can experience life. Here's what I want you to know, is that no matter how good your life is, and I'm not preaching your best life yet, that is not what I'm doing, but understand this, no matter how good your life is, is until you have laid it down for Jesus, you have not found what real life is. Repeat this with me, please. Say, stand firm in the truth of the gospel of grace. Stand firm in the truth of the gospel of grace. That's the first thing that we want to look at. So we're going to read again verses 1 through 6, and then we'll break this down. He says here, he says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage or a yoke of slavery. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Now, I want to pause for a moment. This is not a rebuke on people who are circumcised. Hello. I'm just saying, I want to make that clear because you read this and be like, well, what is he saying? He's not, he's not talking about that. He clears that up in the end, that there's no difference of being circumcised or uncircumcised. What he is pointing out is that circumcision was symbolic of the law. And so if you decided that you were going to be circumcised in order for you to be able to say that you were saved, he's saying then Christ profits you nothing. He goes on to say, he says, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And so Paul calls the church to stand firm in their freedom in Jesus and then warns the Galatians of the danger it would be for them to give into the false gospel of the Judaizers and become circumcised symbolizing their hope in the law instead of Jesus. 
And so he's coming to them. Remember all, you know, the chapters 1 through 4. He's been communicating to them about the true gospel and all of this. And now he is trying to give them some practical application. He's trying to show them that this is what it looks like to be a person who lives by grace. And so the first thing he comes out with is he's telling them, you need to stand firm in this liberty that you have. You need to stand where Christ has set you free. You need to not become entangled, not submit again, not go under this yoke of slavery again. And so Paul uses three words, and I want you to feel the weight of this. And, and, and before I move on, let me ask you a question. Who is the book of Galatians written to? Say that again. He's writing to the church, right? He's not writing to some crazy folk outside somewhere. He's writing to people that he preached to. He's writing to people who responded in faith. He's writing to them with this warning. He's writing to them to let them know this. And, here's, and, and I, I want to make that clear because when you look at these words and you see them, there should be a weight that comes upon your heart that you recognize some stuff that is here. And so Paul, he uses three words or phrases that are to be a sobering warning for anyone deciding to trust the law or anything else for salvation. And so what happens is if you are trusting in anything outside of Jesus for salvation, you need to see what Paul is saying and let these words sing into your heart. The first thing he says is that Christ is no prophet to you. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is that you have been separated or in, 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 or in another translation, estranged from Christ, which means to be separated or severed. And then he says you have fallen from grace. And that word fallen, it means to fall out, to fall down, or to fall off. And one translator, he says it like this. It means to lose one's grasp of something. So as I'm studying the scriptures and I'm looking at these texts, I'm like, okay, God, what is it that you're... Because he's trying to warn these people, do not put your trust, do not put your hope in your works, do not put your hope in the law. But he doesn't just say it like that. He says, if you choose to do that, if you choose to trust the law, if you choose to trust something else for salvation outside of Jesus, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, one translator, he tried to be real cute, and he's like, well, what that means is that you get none of the benefits of Jesus. He went on to say, and what that means is that the Holy Spirit no longer works in your life, but you're still a Christian. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You read your Bible, and if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have Jesus, and you are not a Christian. If the Holy Spirit is not working in your life, that is not what Paul is trying to communicate. But look what Paul does. He doesn't stop there and say that Christ will not profit you. He says that you, will, you, you have been estranged from Christ, or you have been separated from him, or you have been severed from him. That's what he says here. He goes on to say that. And then he says, you have fallen from grace. Now, these are heavy words. Now, I want to read to you one of my, one of my favorite Bible teachers, and this guy and I, we may disagree on some stuff, but, I, but I, I want to quote what he says because he's the only person that I felt was honest up until his last sentence. But look what he says here. He was honest all the way up until his last sentence. I'll read his last sentence to you. But look what he says. He said, this is John MacArthur. He says that, now, I'm not saying he's being dishonest intentionally. What I'm saying is he has a certain belief system, and so he's got to cover it up by the last sentence. But look what he says here. I want you to get this. He says, Paul's clear meaning is that any attempt to be justified by the law is to reject salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Those once exposed to the gracious truth of the gospel who then turn their backs on Christ and seek to be justified by the law are separated from Christ and lose all prospects of God's gracious salvation. You feel the weight of that? 
So I, I can hear the gospel. I can hear the truth. I can hear what is being communicated. And you'll see next, our next point is running. I can start running with this gospel. And Paul is warning these people who heard him preach this truth. He's warning them, make sure that Christ profits you. Make sure that you are not estranged from Christ. Make sure that you have not fallen from grace. The last sentence, and I'll read it to you, which is where he went off the deep end. He said, their desertion of Christ and the gospel only proves that their faith was never genuine. Right. The point of the matter is, this, this is what I want you to understand. The scriptures are clear. We, 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 we need to walk in a fear and trembling for the God whom we claim to serve. Listen, I want to say something to you. You don't need to walk around, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. You don't need to walk around and be like, oh my goodness, did I lose my salvation? If you're saying that, you probably didn't lose it. Hello. You don't lose salvation like you misplace a wallet or you just like wake up one day, I'm, I was saved today, I'm not saved tomorrow. That is not the way that God's gracious love works. Are you hearing me? Paul is trying to communicate and let these people know Christ set you free. He liberated you. He, he, he completed a work in your life. But what God does not want, he does not want you and I to sit back and start to feel comfortable in other things and not be walking in a fear and trembling before our God. There should be a fear and trembling. There should be something that I am concerned about walking in holiness before him. I shouldn't just think that I can live how I want to live because Jesus set me free. And we're going to see this clearly in the scriptures that you cannot say that Jesus really set you free and you really encountered him and you're walking in bondage to sin. You can't have both. But what I want you to do is, is, is and it's not me, it's that I believe that Paul, his words should make, a, there should be a weight that comes upon our life. Like when I hear the question, where is my faith for my salvation? It shouldn't just be like a question, well, yeah, it's in Jesus. No, 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 time out, time out. No, no, did you hear the question? Where is your faith for salvation? Is your trust really in Jesus, or do you think you're good enough? Is your trust in Jesus, or do you really depend on all of your works that you do in order to say, yeah, I'm saved, I'm walking with Jesus? No, no, it, 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 it should cause something to come inside of my heart. And look, if you're the person that says, man, my faith is in Jesus alone, then glory to God. Glory to God. But if you are not that person, if there is any doubt as to where your faith is, then you need to check yourself and come to repentance because God calls you to that repentance. The same way that Paul, and this is what Paul was saying to these people. He wasn't saying to them that they had already done this. He was saying, if you submit to circumcision. Hear, hear what he's saying. He's saying, if you submit to circumcision, if you decide you're going to trust in the law over Jesus, Christ is no prophet to you. You've been estranged from him. You've fallen from grace. He goes on to say this in verse, in, in verse 5. He says, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait. Eagerly means I'm excited. I'm anticipating. Eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And so we, as those who believe, this is what we're waiting for. We're not looking at our own righteousness. We're looking at the righteousness of Christ, and we're looking to him for that glorious day. When he's saying that we're hoping for it, because you know, right, that we have been justified, which is what he's talking about. We have been justified, meaning that I have a right standing before God. But here is what is, what is amazing, is that while you and I have a right standing before God, in other words, when God looks at us, he does not see my sins of the past. He doesn't see me the way that I used to be. He 
sees me as a new creation. That's a beautiful thing. But here's the reality, that when you look in the mirror, hello, you should realize that you're not as righteous as you may think you are. Hello. God declares you righteous, but it should be a humbling reality when I look in. And I'm not talking about the natural mirror. I'm not talking about that. Because you look in that mirror, you'll be like, I'm looking kind of cute. I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'm not talking about that mirror. I'm talking about the mirror of God's word. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mirror that you look into when you read the word of God and you start to see these specific things that God calls you to do and you realize, man, I don't do that. You realize, man, I hate doing that. You realize, man, I struggle with this. You realize, hey, I got that one. But when you start looking in this mirror of God's word, you start to realize he says I'm righteous, but this says I'm not. Are you hearing me? And you know what he says? He says, yep, I know that, and I'm working on you, glory to God. And you know what? The word of God is not just a mirror, but it is also a window. Because what I do is I look forward to the hope of the righteousness that is to come, the righteousness that he's working. I don't get stuck looking at the mirror at myself, but I'm looking forward to where I'm going. And I trust that if he said I'm righteous, then he's got to make me righteous. And so I trust his grace and I believe him. So I don't get stuck looking in the mirror like, oh my goodness, I got to deal with that pimple. No, what? I do is I realize that he's got the he's got the thing for acne glory to God and he's gonna work this thing out and he's gonna make me right I can't do it on my own but he wants us to trust he wants us to hope in him and in his grace and that's what it means that we look forward to this hope that is coming to this righteousness that's what children of God do because we have been redeemed because we have been justified and we look forward and we say you know what God I'm looking forward to that righteousness as believers, our faith is grounded in Jesus and his finished work. Our hope is in his righteousness, and our faith is seen. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Faith working through love. So my faith is grounded in the work of Jesus. My hope is in his righteousness, and my faith is seen what? It is seen working through love. Love for God and love for others. And so if I don't have love for God and love for others, then I need to check, was I ever really justified? Are you hearing me? If I have issues there, then I need to see that. And for some of us, let me tell you, I'll give you a quick testimony. When I first came to Jesus, I had issues loving other people. And when I read the scriptures and it was like, hey, if you can't love your brother whom you see, then you don't love God, I was like, time out. It's like, okay, we're going to have to deal with this love issue because I know, I know God smacked me up. Hello. I know that he dealt with my heart. And so you know what? I need to let him deal with my heart a little bit deeper. And what did I do? I went and got in his word. I started memorizing scripture. I started meditating on scriptures. And before you knew it, the thing, this thing called love, I was able to do it better. Hello. I was, I'm still growing in love because I have moments where I have relapses. Hello. But... <laughs> The point is, glory to God, I don't get stuck in my relapse. You know what I'm saying? I don't fall back to that place and be like, I'm just not loving people. No, I recognize it. I repent and I come back and say, God, fill me with your grace. Help me to love, right? Help me to obey the scriptures. And so what we do is we say, okay, God, I trust in your righteousness, but I also measure my life. See, here's what I don't want you to do, church. Don't like not measure your life. Don't just be like, well, you know, Bishop said I need to have my trust totally in Jesus, so I'm not even going to look at my life. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that we shouldn't look at our life. The Bible says we shouldn't trust in our life. We should trust in him and his works for us. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, run hard in the power of the gospel of grace. 
Run hard in the power of the gospel of grace. Let's read verses 7 through 12. It says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who troubled you would even cut themselves off. He uses some harsh words there. That literally means to be castrated. That's what he said. I know that's rough. Paul is saying, man, I wish these people were out of your life. He said, I wish these people were not bothering you. I wish these people were not trying to entangle you. I wish these people were not there. That's how much Paul was opposed to the law. Why was he so opposed to the law? Because he was bound by the law for all of his life because he was under the bondage of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew what the law fell short of. And he realized that if these people are allowed to to infiltrate their lives, that's why he says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. What he's saying is that if you listen to them just a little bit, if you just decide to do one thing of the law, it's going to permeate your whole life because then what happens is then you are bound to do everything that the law is communicating. And so every time that you fall short, your hope is in the law. And so what happens is you find yourself discouraged. You find yourself overwhelmed. And here's the beauty of this. This is what, what we need to get is that it isn't that we become lawless people. It is that we become liberated people. We don't become people who don't do what God says. We become people who do what? God says because of who God is and not because I have to keep these commands. There's a difference that occurs. It's not because if I don't do this, then God hates me. If I don't do this, then God is mad. It's not about that. It is because of what God has done in my heart and in my life that now I obey what he says. His spirit motivates me and moves me. And so run hard. He said this in in, in verse 7. He said, you ran well who hindered you from obeying the truth. So the first thing he says, he's like, man, you guys heard the gospel that I preached. You guys heard it and you responded to it. And you were obeying the truth. You were rejoicing in the Savior. You were rejoicing in your freedom. You were living for God. You were sharing that gospel with other people. You were living. Everyone was seeing the change that was taking place. You let go of those idols and those things that weren't even God's by nature. And you began worshiping the one true God. You you were running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you? It was those people that were those legalists that I told you all about last week. You know, those people that were depressed. Hello? They're just upset because they're bound under the law and they haven't been set free. And so you can't have fun if they can't have fun. I'm just saying. If if, if you can't have, if if, if they can't have fun, ain't nobody having fun. That's how it is. So they have to make everyone miserable because they're miserable. Y'all know the old saying, misery loves, right? And so what happens is they want you to be miserable too and then act like you're not miserable. Hello. <laughs> right? I'm just saying. And so he wants us to, to, to know. He wants them. He's communicating. He's saying, you guys ran well. So the Galatians were running well. They were running this race. They had, they had believed and were living out the truth, yet the false teachers caused them to stop their forward po- progress to evaluate their stand with God. Now, can I say something? The the goal of the enemy is to hinder the forward progress of the gospel in and through our lives. That's the goal of the enemy. If we stop moving forward in Christ, guess what happens? The gospel stops moving forward through us. 
The enemy doesn't care. I, I want you to understand this. The enemy doesn't care so much about you and I individually. What he cares about is the people who will be impacted by our lives through the message of the gospel. Because what the reality is he did, I want you to think about this. He did everything within his power to do what? To stop you and I from coming to faith in Jesus. Did he not? I mean, he sent me all the right people, all the right things. He sent me, I mean, every single thing that I wanted, he sent it all my way. He made sure that there was every obstacle, every hindrance, every excuse that you could think of came into my heart. When God, I remember sitting down, hearing a preacher preaching from um, 1 Samuel chapter 3 when God was calling Samuel. And I knew God was calling me. I was sitting back there where Hector's sitting, like right in that seat. And right there, I'm sitting there. My friend is sitting next to me. And as the preacher says, if you know that God is speaking, you get up. And I was such a coward, and I looked at my friend, and he wasn't getting up, and I was like, well, I guess he ain't calling me. So everything that you could think of was there as an obstacle until finally, one day, Jesus got a hold of my heart all by myself and tore me away from this world and liberated me from my sin. And so you know what? Satan can't stop what God wants to do in my life, but what he can do is he can get me focused on the wrong stuff so that way I stop progressing forward and being the light unto others because I'm so worried about having a perfect life or a perfect situation. Let me help you understand something. None of us... We'll ever have that perfect light. All of us are going to have a light that's got a lampshade that's messed up and the light's not going to shine perfectly. That does not mean that God will not use the light that he has put inside of us to illuminate the lives of others. What we need to do is be faithful and trust him and his gospel to be working in and through our lives. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to be focused on the right things, and the enemy wants us to stop. So you need to know that every attack, every question, every hindrance that comes by way of the enemy is simply an attempt at derailing us from our gospel mission. That's what he wants to do. He wants to stop us from moving forward. And you and I must stay true to our calling into our freedom and refuse our fleshly temptation to find security in other things. We must refute the false teachings of grace plus works, not for the sake of winning arguments, but for the sake of winning souls. Here's the, here, here's the thing, is that we must come to that place where we, you know, it's, it's not about arguing with someone because other people are going to come into our life and say, man, you're not holy enough. You say you love Jesus, and listen, I, I, want, I, want, I, want you, I want you to think about this realistically, okay, and critically. Some people are right. You're not holy enough. Did you hear me? Some of y'all really need to repent. All, all jokes aside, right? I mean, seriously. I mean, you, you can laugh, but seriously. Like, some of you, like, when you're, you're, not, you're not living a good example for Jesus. I don't want you to think that, oh, you know, don't worry about the law. No, 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 time out. I, I want you to think about that. Because sometimes people are coming to you and they are being a voice that God is trying to say, hey, man, you need to get right. You can't keep living in this life of compromise. You can't keep living how you want to live, right? But then there are other people that we're just not holy enough for them. See, there's a difference. There's a difference with, with me being a bad example and me not being holy enough for someone else. See, my, my, life, my life is not by the standards of anyone in this church. I don't live by the, I don't live by the standards of anyone. I love all of you. Amen? I, I really do, sincerely from the depth of my heart. I would do everything in my, in my power to make sure that I'm a good example for you. But I want you to know that I don't live that example for your, your purpose alone. I live that for the glory and honor of Jesus. 
And my standard is much higher than anybody else, and it's not because I'm so holy. It's because he's so holy. He's the standard. I don't have the standards. I don't set the standards. I try to live the standards. And you know what I do? I do like everyone else in this room that's honest. I fall short every day. That's, that's what I do. But I continue to trust his grace. I continue to trust his gospel. I don't continue to live. I, I, I don't recognize I don't sit there and recognize that I'm weak in this area, and I'm going to just keep being weak and be like, well, the grace of God is enough. No, that's called being a hypocrite. That's what that is. And so I need to recognize, just like I said earlier, I recognized early on in my Christianity I had problems loving people, so I needed to do what? I needed to get some word in my life so that way the word would change my heart, so that way I would operate the way the word of God said I was supposed to. And so we're supposed to do that. But the point is that we cannot trust our works over the work of the cross. Amen? Third thing, repeat this after me. Say, live fully in the liberty of the gospel of grace. Live fully in the liberty of the gospel of grace. Don't live part-time in the, in, in the liberty. Don't live partially in the liberty. Live fully in, the, in, in that liberty of the gospel of grace. Live the way that God has called us to live. Look at verses 13 to verse 15. He goes on to say this. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Now pause. He says, you, everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you have been called to liberty. What, what, what is the title of this series? Liberated for Life. So you have been called into liberty. Christ wants everyone in this place to be free. And the way that we're free is by what? By putting our faith in Jesus. And so if you're in here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, Jesus calls you today to put your faith in him. He calls you today to trust him, not with a part of your life, but with all of your life. He doesn't just want to fix an area because that's what many of us do. Well, I'm going to come to God so he can fix my marriage. Can he fix marriages? Absolutely. I guarantee you if I ask folks to stand up that have had marriages that are fixed, they'll be jumping up, giving praise and glory to God, doing their Holy Ghost dance. But that is not the only reason why you should come to Jesus. Come to him because you know that it's not just your marriage that needs to be fixed, but it is your heart that needs to be fixed. It is your life that needs to be fixed. Because what happens if he fix your marriage but leaves you the same way? You will mess your marriage up again. Hello? And so we come to him so he can liberate us, so he can set us free. And so if you don't know him today, today is the opportunity for you to know him. He goes on to say this. He says, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He says, you've been called to liberty. He said, but don't use your liberty as an opportunity to sin. Don't use your liberty as a license don't walk away and say, hey, you know what, man? Bishop was saying that I'm free in Jesus. He said that the grace of God covers all my sin, so I'm good and I can live how I want to live. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't cheapen the grace of God because that grace should be something that has changed your heart, which we'll get to at the end here. But he says this. He says, use it as an opportunity to do what? To love one another, to serve one another through love. He says, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. See, here's the great lie of the enemy. The great lie of the enemy is that the message of grace is dangerous. The message of grace is dangerous. Why, why is the message of, of grace dangerous? Because the message of grace doesn't talk about the law. doesn't talk about what you have to do. It talks about what Jesus did. And what Paul is doing here is he's addressing that great lie. He's simply pointing out, he's saying, the law, the, the grace, grace never said you could live lawlessly. That's not what grace said. 
Grace said you shouldn't use this as an opportunity for your flesh. You've been called to freedom. Just don't use that as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve each other out of love. Be servants one to the other. He says this, this, there, there's no danger in the message of grace. And so he says this. He, he makes it clear that anyone who truly understands the message of grace will never become a greater sinner but will become a greater servant. Anyone who truly understands the message of grace will not become a greater sinner, but they will become a greater servant of Jesus Christ. Because when I really get the full understanding of grace, when I really understand that gospel message that we go over week in and week out, that I am a sinner, that I am separated from God because of my sin, that if I die in my sin, I go to hell, and I will be separated from God for all of eternity, suffering. When I get that point, that should scare me. When I understand the next point, which is that I can do absolutely nothing in order to please God or to atone for my sin. I can't do enough good things to outdo the bad things. And the reason for that is because I will continue to do bad things while I'm trying to do good things. So how do I keep track? Hello? And so when I realize that there is no hope outside of Jesus, then I come to a place where I have to make a decision. I am either going to put my faith in the work that Jesus did, which that's the beauty of this gospel, is that while I'm a sinner that is separated from God because of my sins of, 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 of commission, omission, and of birth, because I was born into sin, there are things that I will do to offend God, and there were things that I won't do to honor God, and so I'm separated from all of that, and the consequence, because I am a lawbreaker, that is what a sin is. I am one who breaks the laws of God. And when I get that and I realize what Jesus did, when I realize what he went through in order to save me, that should change my whole heart. That should change my whole life. And when I respond to that, he doesn't sit there and say, yeah, I died for you and it's all good and now you're right and now you're going to go to heaven. But he says, I no longer know you by those things. I no longer look at you the way that I used to. I no longer see you the way that I used to. You were my enemy. Now you are my child. You were separated from me. Now we are in relationship. And when I get that and I realize that he gives me this new identity, and not only does he give me a new identity, but again, he offers me real life, abundant life, full life. When I get those things, I can't stay the same. I can't be the sinner. I love, and I'll use the analogy again that Paul Washer uses. He, he, was, he was in a conference, and he was talking, and he said this. He said, you know, if you, were, if you were late somewhere, and you came inside, and you told us, hey, man, the reason why I'm late is because I had this situation that happened to me on the, on the highway. And he says, I was on the highway, and my, my tire went flat, and so I had to get out of the car, had to try to change the tire. As I changed the tire, the lug nuts flew out into the middle of the highway, and so I ran out into the middle of the highway to grab these lug nuts. And when I did that, there was a huge log truck that was coming my way, and it ran me over. And that's why I'm late. See, some of y'all are, like, laughing. You never heard this story before. And others of you are like, okay, here's the thing. Would that really be possible for you to have an encounter with a, with a log truck and be talking about it? Definitely not 15 minutes later. God may work a miracle. But the point of the matter is, that log truck will change you for real. Okay? Do you think our God is a little bigger than a log truck? Do you think grace is a little bit more powerful than a 10-ton vehicle coming at you full speed? I would say yes. 
And so what, what, what the point is, is that grace really changes our life. And there should be some evidence of that change. And the reason why many of us stay the same is not because we don't know enough law. It's because we don't understand grace. It's because we don't understand the grace of God. Whenever Paul addresses issues, whenever you read your Bible, he always addresses the issues from the position of grace, not more law. He doesn't say, you know what's going to make you better if I give you more laws. That isn't what he says. You know why? Because it doesn't work. More laws just make us rebel more. That's all it does. All it does is shows us more of our sin. But grace empowers us to do what? To live holy. Empowers us to live righteous. So here's the bottom line, church. The message of grace demands a response. It is either rejection of our need or surrender of our will. No one hears the true gospel and walks away the same. Understand that. In this place today, there are two responses to the gospel. One, I don't need it. And you can be a Christian and say, I don't need it. I'm good. I don't need to hear that. And that's a sad place because there are many people that are prideful like that, self-righteous like that. Or you come to the other side and you say, man, I surrender my will, God. I surrender my heart. I surrender all that I am because you know what? I need you. This is the, 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 the last part of this verse will show you what the enemy wants to happen. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. See, what Paul, what Paul, what Paul is communicating, he's saying, you know what happens when you start to become a legalist? There's a community of criticism that develops. You become critical. And I'm not talking about calling sin, sin. That's not being critical. That's being biblical. <laughs> Understand this. There is a difference. Some people, they, they have this mindset, well, Jesus said not to judge. That wasn't what Jesus was talking about. Hello? He, he, he was talking about judging according to the flesh. He was talking about making unrighteous judgment. Listen, I have a Bible. I am not the judge. I simply declare what the judgment says. Are you hearing me? That, that's all you do. As a Christian, you don't have to argue. I'm not judging anybody. I am simply saying what the judge of the universe already declared as being truth or lie. That's it. And so what happens is I communicate what the truth of the scriptures say. That's what happens. That is a gospel-centered community that I will call you to repentance. But when you are a legalistic community, a law-centered community, what happens is you begin to bite and devour. You begin to criticize. You begin to treat each other the wrong way rather than operating in love. And you know what the ultimate thing that happens? Guess what? Nobody wants to be around y'all. Listen, think about those stories for some of y'all that are much older than I. Hallelujah. <laughs> think about those stories. I, I, I heard stories of guys, they walked into churches, and this is no lie. They walked into the church, they had hair on their face, and the pastor made them the point of the message. And said, if you have hair on your face, you're going to hell. Who wants to be around that? <laughs> Just saying. Nobody wants to be in an environment like that. Like if you were saying something that was like biblical, I could, I could halfway understand that, right? But that was not even biblical. That's just like some opinion. But you know where that comes from? That comes from being a legalist. That comes from being bound in legalism. Because, see, here's what you got to understand. The Pharisees, you know what they did? This is what they did. They took the laws of God, and this is why Jesus said this. I think it's in like Mark chapter 15 or 18, somewhere around there. I mean, Matthew chapter 15. Mark doesn't have 15. Or, yeah, it does. Anyway, so in Matthew, like Matthew chapter 15, I think it's around there, maybe 18. I'm not totally sure. But Jesus said something. 
They were criticizing him because he didn't wash his hands before he ate, right? And what does Jesus say? He said that they hold the traditions of men more valuable than the word of God. You know what he said? He said, you nullify my word by your traditions. You know what he was talking about their traditions? What they did was they took all the laws of God, like God said, to be holy. And so they took it to another level because they were trying to understand holiness. And so they added, like, when you wash your hands, this is how you have to wash your hands. So you, you knew you had to wash your hands because you had to be ceremonial clean. But now you had to wash your hands in a certain way. You know, you washed your hands and then you had to hold your hands up until they dried so that way the water would drip down your elbows and your hands would remain clean. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? So that's how you had to wash your hands in order to be a clean person. So you go, wash your hands, and then you got to hold your hands like this. Till the stuff dries, you can't go like that because then what happens? All the dirt drips back down into your hands. So they had all of these laws. That's just like one. But they had all of these different things that you had to do in order to fulfill those laws. And Jesus is like, no, you nullify my word by your traditions. And what Paul knew is he said, if you decide that you're going to give into this legalism, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to make up your own laws. You know what that means? If women wear pants, they're going to hell. If you have hair on your face, you're going to hell. Someone would say, if you shave your head, you're going to hell. I'm like, no, I'm going bald. <laughs> I felt like I was going to hell when I started receding, and then I was like, Lord, all right, glory to God. Bald is beautiful. Let's do this thing, you know? I mean, I'm just saying. But the point is, like, yo, why are you judging me? Because you got a strong hairline. I'm just saying. I'm, you know, like, really? Right? <laughs> so, ultimately... Grace is like, no, you know, none of those things matter. The word of God matters. The laws of God matter. But it needs to be the grace of God that applies those laws to our hearts. Amen? Amen. So in closing, here is this. My question for you is two, twofold. Are you standing firm in Christ? Are you standing firm in Christ? Are you standing firm in the gospel that saves? If you're not, today God calls you to repentance and faith in him. And the second question is this, is are you being trained by grace? I want you to turn to one last scripture as we close. First Timothy, I mean Titus, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11. And I want you to see this whenever you start to ever think or anyone ever tells you that the message of grace is weak, but that the message of grace doesn't work. Look at what the Word of God says. When you got it, say amen. amen. Titus chapter 2, we're going to read verse 11 through verse 13. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can keep reading. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He tells Titus, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. 
This is the grace of God, church. And if you say that you've been saved by grace and you are not living holy and you are not living righteous, I call you a liar. Because you have not met the God of the Bible. You have not met the God who changes hearts and doesn't just change hearts, but changes lives. You cannot say that you have met the God of the universe. You cannot say that you met the one that said, let there be, and everything he said, let there be, there was, and you're going to tell me that he says to you, let there be salvation, and your life doesn't look like it. There's a problem. There is an issue if there is no change in your hearts. And I don't say that to be mean. I say that because I hope that if you are saying that you know God and you don't live for him, that you will turn from your sin today. Because God doesn't want anyone to fear going to hell. God wants all of us to rejoice in the work of the cross and the eternity that we can spend with him. But there is no gray area. You are either with him or you are not, period. I ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. I want to open up this altar for you today. And first of all, if you do not know Jesus, today's the day for you to make that decision. I encourage you. I implore you to make that decision for Jesus. I encourage you to take a walk to this altar. I, I encourage you to turn from your sin. I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. I encourage you. If you don't know him, don't let today go by without you submitting your life to him. If you realize that you've been a hypocrite, listen, there's forgiveness in the cross. If you realize that you've been acting like you're saved and you're not, today's a day for you to make your life right with Jesus. And not that you make it right, but he makes it right. So I open this altar for you. And if you're a person in here that you're walking with Jesus and you just need prayer, you came here, you're burdened, you're heavy laden, and you need prayer, I encourage you to come forward as well. I'm going to say a general prayer. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and then the pastors will pray with you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, my God, for this day. We humble ourselves before you, before your presence. And God, we pray in the name of Jesus.